You ever read my stack art? No. How'd you get your doctor without reading that card? Relax. <clears throat> okay, good. I'll turn over gently. Right side. The other right, okay? You're a regular basket case, you know that? Eckhart saw hell, too. You know what he said? He said, the only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of your life. Your memories, your attachments, they burn them all away. But they're not punishing you, he said. They're freeing your soul. Relax. So the way he sees it, if you're frightened of dying and, and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. It's just a matter of how you look at it, that's all. So don't worry, okay? Well, everybody, I guess I'll introduce the show first. Uh, welcome to Filmoscopy Podcast, a show where three friends discuss any movie of their choosing. Um, in today's episode, it is the 1990 psych thriller film Jacob's Ladder. Um, oh, we were supposed to watch the 1991? Yeah, we, we watched the... Oh, no, yeah. no, the, we were supposed <laughs> to watch the... fucking joke. No, you're supposed to watch the remake. <laughs> No, you're supposed to like read the biblical story, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, it's directed by Adrian Lyne, uh, written by Bruce Rubin, and starring Tim Robbins as um, Jacob Singer. Um, so with me today, I'm Owen, by the way, is in alphabetical order, Cody. Yo, yo, yo. And Lance. Hello. With the lights out. Okay. Um. So. Hey, this is funny. This is like the second movie that Owens picked that's had Tim Robbins in it. Have Most I picked another? He had because. Yeah, he he was in a Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. He's a homeless dude that was trying to get. He was oh. the one that was trying to. Get, he gave him the the map to break into the place. Oh shit! You're right. That's crazy. He doesn't even look anything like himself. That's really good. Uh, well, I know because he's wearing a wig then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has wonderful hair. This dude's got like a perfect head of hair. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying for that role, he wore a homeless person's wig or some shit. Okay. Oh, sorry, I was looking at something. Um. So. Looking at a little something, something. And in alphabetical order, I guess I'll just ask you guys if you had seen anything, if you guys have experienced this movie before, heard anything about it. Uh, Cody, please. Um, yeah, so I've watched it one time. It was roughly 2011, I think, was the one time I watched it, because that's when I learned that, hey, Silent Hill was, uh, drew a lot of inspiration from this movie, so I was like, well, yeah, I definitely gotta check this out. And, um, being, like, 19 years old and watching it, I, you don't understand as much as much as you do I don't know. This is definitely one of those movies that, with age, uh, it's easier to understand the movie than like mm-hmm. watching it for the first time as like a dumb nineteen-year-old kid. Yeah, I, 
totally agree. The first time I watched this movie, um, I must have been like 13. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. But on like a second, the this second time I viewed it, it's it's kind of simple. The plot is a little bit straightforward. Um, of course, there's red herrings here and there that'll throw you off. Um, but anyways, Lance, what were your first impressions? Uh, this was my first time watching the movie, and I did. I went ahead. Um, you guys are gonna be like, "Come on!" When I say this, I did get on the Wikipedia page as I was watching the movie to look at the stuff because I was really intrigued with it. I didn't want to wait for the movie to play out because I'm like, "Fuck, this is almost two hours long." Mm-hmm. So the movie got my interest big time, and it got me actually kind of depressed. So yeah, that's my first thoughts. Oh yeah, it is a pretty <laughs> depressing movie in a way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so with me, uh, I think I have kind of a similar story to Cody. I, I'm pretty sure I heard this movie. I heard about this movie in regards to Silent Hill 2, uh, mostly that the scare effects um, when the, you know, monsters like twitch and stuff with the, which is an effect they do in this movie where they film like the actors like throwing their heads back and forth at like four frames per second and then boost it up to 24. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's a similar scare effect shared between the two series. Even, sorry to cut you off, but even like the creature design is like inspired by it. Um, like, uh, in the scene where they're at the party and he see what's what's his girlfriend's name? Uh, Jezzy. Jez. Jez. Yeah, Jez. Um, Jezebel. She, when she's dancing with that guy yeah. and like he starts turning into like the weird bat creature, like there's like a, this there's like bat creatures in the first Silent Hill. Um, the outfit that. Uh, Jacob is wearing in the later part of the movie where he's got like the green jacket and the jeans and all that. Yeah, that's, the, that's just almost straight up James's uh, outfit in Silent Hill 2. Um, and the the scene where he's on the gurney and they're like rolling him through, they're taking him to the x-ray room or they say they're taking him to the x-ray room and he's like rolling through and there's like all the the stuff, like he sees like the bicycle in the in the room and all that kind of stuff. That scene is heavily inspires the opening of Silent Hill Homecoming. Actually, I would argue it's stolen in Homecoming. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would just go out and say that Homecoming stole the scene. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much lifted, and like the story overall about a war vet, a war veteran, and like having like um, these like dealings or visions or whatever with like demons and creatures also like heavily inspires the story of homecoming as well um considering that 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 game you play is alex shepherd who is you're told is a a war veteran um coming home but and yeah which is kind of the same sort of twist i guess this is gonna be a spoiler um if you haven't watched the movie i guess go watch it um or don't if you don't care, uh, but it's the same kind of I guess twist within that game as in within this movie, um, where you find out that the character wasn't. There's something fishy going on with their you know, the uh, military service. Yeah. Uh, we hey, uh, also. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say we can spoil Homecoming because uh, hell that game's yeah, that like game super sucks. old. 
Well, oh, not so only yeah. that. It's like fucking uh, yeah, <laughs> Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield show up. Homecoming, baby. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the wrong one. I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> watch home. I'd rather watch that Homecoming than play than play the Homecoming we're talking about. But um, so. yeah, Silent Hill Homecoming is like 15 years old or something at this point, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, the twist at the end is that he's not actually a war veteran. Uh, he was sent away to a psych a psychiatric hospital because he had drowned his little brother in the lake, and he kind of like this blocks all of it out. And the whole like war thing is the fact that his dad was was a soldier or something, and he thought so that I need by, my squad, dude. I need my fucking squad. <laughs> <laughs> by joint, he in his mind he created this like this um backstory for himself that he had gone to war and that was like a way to make his dad proud because he grew up with his dad he felt like his dad never cared about him or whatever but um i like how i guess this is a tangent but i like how in that game they use his backstory to justify the fact that he has like combat abilities but mm -hmm. then they pull the rug out from under you so like in that case like why can you know it kind of loses that justification that you originally had i guess yeah, I'd I'd heard interviews with um with Tom Hewlett, who was like, unfortunately, he was like very despised amongst the Silent Hill community because he was kind of like the punching bag for everyone's displeasure yeah. with the series. He was the face. He was the face yeah. of Silent Hill he, at that time. So he, even though Silent Hill Homecoming, he came in like halfway through production and basically did what he could to like salvage what they had already done with with the development of it because he was saying that like pyramid head was supposed to feature like way more prominently in that game and like stalk you and stuff and they had like this weird like plan to make um homecoming into like a, a trilogy or something where like it'd be alessa versus uh uh, I can't remember the younger brother's name, the little brother, but it'd be Alessa versus him in like this weird like Dragon Ball style battle over over Toluca Lake, and it's just like this. So just he he apparently like saved us from something that could have been much worse. Um, yeah. But uh God, I can't remember. Oh, he had said something. I think he said something along the lines of like maybe Alex had like trained or something early on um, as a way. Cause you know, again, he knew his dad used to be in the military and he wanted to like impress him. And so it was like one of those things where like maybe some of it was self-taught before he ever got sent to the psych psychiatric hospital and all that. But um, perhaps, perhaps yeah. you win this round, Tom Hewlett. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let it slide um, this time. When we get to the end of this discussion of this movie, let's bring up because it's not in part of the influences, but I'm wondering if the the reveal at the end of this movie, um, is like influencing another movie that comes out in like the year 2000, something about a sense and maybe the number six. Um, Cause I've been cause, to uh, the yeah. year 3000. No, sorry. <laughs> not much has changed except we live underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the rest of this song, yeah. Um. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I I don't know. I think that as far as the Silent Hill influence, those are the only ones that stand out to me. Um, stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. <laughs> yeah, like cr creature, desi <laughs> creature design, uh, scare tactics. Um, I was wondering when I was watching it, because when he's down in, like, the subway um 
yeah, when he's down in the subway, he gets off the train, he's like walking around and stuff. The footsteps like echoing and stuff. I was sitting there thinking, I was like, did Con- did the guys at Team Silent just like straight up lift the sound effect off of this movie because it sounds like exactly like the the walking sound effects in Silent Hill. Oh, the like, footsteps that they yeah have? yeah maybe. So, I don't know if they did, but if they, I mean, it's in my mind as, as someone who's played those games a lot. It's like this sounds exactly the same, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could be from the same sound library, but who knows? Um, but yeah. um, uh, speaking, I guess, of the monster design, I love the uh, monster design in this movie. Um, I really like how, I guess, the script, um, and I, I know this will be jumping a little bit ahead, but I guess in the script, the monsters were all just supposed to be, like, demons. So they were supposed to have, like, devil horns and, like, you know, be kind of, like, traditional um you know, like hell creatures. Um, mm-hmm. But the director, uh, I think he didn't want to do that. He wanted to kind of like mix it up and make something a little bit unique that the audience probably wouldn't have seen before. So he created these kind of like fleshy uh, demons where their horns are like teeth and, and stuff. Um, and yeah, I, really I, mean, I, like, I was kind of... It, it's a very effective I was concerned, design. Not concerned. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Lance. No, you're good. I was kind of like confused obviously they're not going to show that that dragon bat thing that was fucking jazz yeah because obviously it's special effects and if it's not darkly lit with flashing lights you're going to see it in reality it's probably going to look really fucking stupid like most practical effect creatures do in daylight like the whole like the also the the beefy black dude with the the mask over his head shaking uncontrollably and shit like that and it's like that's also something that seems like very silent hillish um the, the thing, like, when he's on the subway and you see all the people looking out at him on the subway, and it's, you don't really see their faces. They look like almost like they're wearing gas masks, but they're not. It's a part of their face. Yeah, it's like their skin is like, like they have like a layer of skin stretched over their face or something. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. And obviously that, the I don't know if it's the train conductor or the person that sits in the ass end of the train, but... He waves at him, obviously, as the train goes by, you know, at the end. But also, like, when the car is chasing him, you have somebody, and I can't remember, I think the dude that tells him, hey, look out, is that the dude you see later on at the end of the movie, the doctor? I believe so. Okay. Um, And I, I didn't understand, like, what the fucking, like, what mannequin head they were holding up in the back of the window was supposed to be symbolized, like, somebody with black hair. But it obviously looked like a like a really bad mannequin head. Mm-hmm. in the back of the um, car that was you know, trying to run him over well, it's like yeah I was trying to run him over before this is before uh, he met up with his buddy that ended up blowing up his car also yeah remember I think that's the like one of the creatures like looking back at him yeah I think it's one of like the, yeah, I, the creatures with like the flesh or skin over their face or whatever in the back I, of the car I, I couldn't yeah, yeah, I didn't. I just I, at that part. I mean, I was like, we wound it like three or four times trying to catch it. I'm like, fuck, man, I, I don't know what it is supposed to be. Like, I didn't know if it's supposed to be something specific or just supposed to be like, okay, this isn't real. Like, he's in hell mm-hmm. or whatever. But see, I think that's a good thing um, that this movie does, um, where it's like constantly making you question what exactly is going your on. Sexuality. Is he? Go- is, he- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, is it? Is it? It makes you ask like. 
is he just going crazy? Is is this something that happened to him in Vietnam that's still affecting him now? Like, is it trauma, psychiatric, or psychological? Um, or mm-hmm. is this even happening? Is like, is this even happening at all? Which, of course, you know, at the end we we find out exactly what it is. Um, which I almost, in a way, wish that that wasn't the ending. I wish that they would have found some way to leave it a little bit more open. Um, yeah. They pretty much, yeah, definitively at the end, they're pretty much like, oh, yeah, he's dying. He, does, he died yeah. in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, this is just his, like, his, Dying like, dream. Yeah. Now, I will say, it, during his dying dream, he does remember who stabs him. But then again, is that actually who stabs him? Because it was, like, one of the guys from his own platoon, right? But is yeah. it actually that he really remembers before he dies? Or is it just his mind, like connecting the dots because when he gets stabbed in the beginning he does have a look on his face like he recognizes who it is mm-hmm. um and obviously you do see I, I i think that the stuff the stuff the vietnam stuff at the very start of the movie happens right like yeah like the seat the guy has the seizure they all start like firing and stuff so it's very possible that it was like a psychological drug that the government used on them to, you know, and it backfired and they all started killing each other. But, um, because, you know, Vietnam is pretty notorious for like that war, having a lot of like chemical experimentation and shit like that. Yeah. Like Agent Orange and shit. Yeah. So yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Like, um, but anyway, go ahead. This is going to be a deep movie. Like, like that. I think it is ultimately because I think I think the whole I mean I think the entire movie from when he gets stabbed in the woods at the beginning to when you see his uh, body at the end I think the entire thing is just him struggling in those moments like those moments of him being like it's all fucking like it's it's his uh, his nerves firing off in his brain as he's dying. Yeah. Like this whole entire life that he's like, it's this whole thing he's made up in his entire head and he can't block out where the afterlife, if you will, you know, like I said, this whole thing is, yeah. kind of confusing. he's it's like, hard to put in words he's in, smart enough. Yeah. He, he, he's in like a place between he's in purgatory. Yeah. Between heaven, heaven and earth pretty much. Um, it's, it's really cool the way they do like, um, like like it's very strange like how he um gets information so you know he learns about this like uh chemical um experiment and everything like that while so i guess from from what i understood was that the movie takes place entirely within you know him being on the helicopter dying um and within that section you know the um he gets all this other information about his circumstance, like what led him there. And I mean, you know, there's like a question to be raised, like, you know, did that guy who's watching over him, you know, is that like some kind of guardian angel or is that like, um, you know, somebody else who, did he die? Like, you know, um, that's a pretty interesting point to raise and think about, I think. And Are you talking about uh, the doctor, the, the chiropractor? Uh, yeah, I think the, the chiropractor was the angel. Yeah, the chiropractor's an angel, but um, the his buddy, the guy who was in the chemical unit in Saigon. Oh, the one oh, that the like one that blew up in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. 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 Not him. You're talking about the guy that tells him about the ladder. 
the yes, one that exactly. actually the the guy that's like yeah he got busted for making LSD or whatever and then the government recruited him. Yeah, my my bad. Lou would be his guardian angel, the chiropractor. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's interesting, interesting to think if like you know if that character is also dead, um, and kind of in a in between purgatory I don't, state. I don't I don't think it's necessarily that. I think because everybody in his platoon is dead, yeah. but I don't think that's them in his vision. I think that's just like his what's going on in his brain as this happened or in with his soul you know because i mean I'm, I'm talking this conversation i'm somebody that does believe in afterlife and i do believe in god where cody's owen cody, cody and owen are agnostic atheists really yeah so it's like you know from y'all's perspective of somebody dies and comes back um to life because they resuscitate them and they have a vision you guys are going to go with the thing of that's just the nerve endings in their brain firing off they're not actually seeing something that's there whereas I would think, okay, there is something beyond this life. Yeah, that's what I think is and, happening in the plot. I mean, I think there's something more spiritual going on, you know. I which, mean, which it could, it, it's confusing too. Whenever, so like when his buddy, he meets up with his buddy, right? The one that you see in the beginning, he's just kind of sitting on the ground when all the chaos is happening at war. Yeah, that's him, right? The one he meets, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm also seeing demons or whatever." And he, they go to the funeral, and they meet up afterwards, I guess, and. There's all the, all these other guys from his platoon there, but when he's recovered, when the guys recover him in the field, they they make it sound like he's the only one that they found alive. So in, I'm thinking, like, how is it that these guys are even even here whenever supposedly he was the only one that survived all that stuff in, in Vietnam? Um, which it could lead to, it could also mean that, like you guys are kind of saying, this is purgatory and maybe their souls are also there with him. Um, so is it, is it, do you think, uh, let me ask this question because do you think it's, they're all living in purgatory and they're going to escape it their own way? Or is it, he's the one that's in purgatory because this is all him. And this is the outside influences, whether it be spiritual or his nerve endings firing off are the ones that are manipulating people that have been in his life to do this. You know what I'm saying? Like It's yeah, like, yeah. is he living in this world and this is what he's got to go through and everything else is just a phantom? Or yeah, it, are they all in purgatory and they're trying to escape their own way? Yeah, I it's like hard to, think, to say. Yeah, I, sorry, go, go ahead. No, sorry. I like to think that they're kind of all in, in this kind of shared uh, purgatory and it's not like a single kind of thing. But... I don't know. There's there's instances where you know it can kind of seem like that'll throw a wrench into it. But uh, go ahead, Cody. I'm sorry. So to me, it's hard to say because there's an argument for both cases, right? Like he's dying, he's seeing. If he's in purgatory, it makes sense why he's seeing like these demons and stuff everywhere. But at the same time, his life that his in, in that he's experiencing after the war. The people in it are people that he knew from before. Even like his new girlfriend is someone that he knew from the post office, from working at the post office or whatever. Um, or, you know, he may not have worked at the post office before, but maybe he met her at the post office prior to going to war or whatever. Because, um, you know, there's that scene where he wakes up and he thinks that he's back at home with Sarah. And he says, like, oh, I had a nightmare. You know, it was, I was, I had living. a nightmare. I was, I was fucking a sexy Latina. 
It was a nightmare. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like, you know, I was I was living with with Jez from the post office, and it's like, I don't I don't know. It's hard for me to say one way or the other. I I think that part of it, that may be the one thing in this movie that's like is kind of left open. Like, was it purgatory, or? You know, is it just his his the his dying visions basically before he's before he's gone? Um, because the only thing we know for sure is that he's dead. Yeah. You know, and it also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Owen. You might. Nah, it just has some funny. T- I don't want you to lose your thought, Lance. Go ahead. Oh no! All I was going to say was, and at the end when he gets to his old house. Um. See, that's why I think I don't know. I think that Jesus Christ. I'm trying to like because I would like to think I don't know. Cause I'm not gonna say well. I like to think because really in my mind, the way I was thinking about it was okay. He's in this purgatory. No one else in this thing is real. Yeah. It's like everybody looks at him in a knowing way. Like when the guy is about to, his buddy's about to, his car's about to blow up. He looks at him and just smiles, and then it just blows up. Like he knew it was about to happen. Like all of this was a self-discovery of him realizing, oh, you're actually dying or you're dead. None of this is real because he was so far in this denial of it, and they were trying to pull him out. Because you saw his wife and his two older children come visit him in the hospital. And he heard that voice. I can't remember what the voice said. It said, and he think crying. again, and it, I think is what it said. Oh, is that what, okay. okay, so, and then she hugs him because he's like, I'm alive, I'm not dead. She goes, of course you are. And then when he goes back to his old house, the only one that's there is Gabe, his son that's passed away. And his mm-hmm. son guides him into the stairlight, which we assume is heaven. Yeah. So I think it's his own personal purgatory that everybody in there is either serving a purpose, whether it be to torture him or from that point of view like i think the opening of this episode should be his chiropractor telling him that thing it's like you know if you look at it from one way it's demons burning your memories your life away but if you're ready to let go it's angels releasing you of your pain i think that i mean it's a really great quote i think it should be the opening of our episode yeah. but i really think because i mean this movie like it got me i mean i got a little depressed watching it like fuck like i'm i like I don't want to die right now, obviously. But you you don't know when it's going to stop. It's like you have all these outside forces. Like I think when the um, the chemist, if you will, like the hippie guy, when he sees him at the end, that's his final realization that I'm dead. Like he realizes it in his head, even though he goes home and all that stuff. And the door greeter looks at him a certain way as soon as he turns his back to him and lets him in. He looks at him like he's not smiling anymore. Like, okay, he's ready for his acceptance. So I think this is his own personal purgatory, and this is whatever force is affecting him in the purgatory, whether it's evil or good, however which way you want to look at it, or whether it is evil and good. I think that's what he's going through. Yeah. Because it's like he has this perfect illusion. It's almost like Total Recall. Or um, like you have all these little hints of things. Like, when he's looking through all of his military records, for some reason there's this symbol of a crop circle that has nothing to do with it. And, you know, he opens the refrigerator. You see that, that skinned demon head or whatever it was in a bag next to the beer, and he looks at it weird. Mm-hmm. 
and you know all these other things but everything else looks normal and everybody else is acting normal but it's like it's everything's like playing out because in reality like he got stabbed he got found the next day and he was dead by a couple minutes later so you're looking at maybe a max of maybe 12 hours all this was happening in in real time if we're if i'm if i'm expanding the time out but um yeah i mean this movie's really fucking deep if you think if you obviously it is because we're about 20 minutes in this discussion and we're already debating if there's a god or not in the afterlife but yeah let's go ahead owen sorry yeah let's get into the funny shit because i don't get too deep and depressed (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say um just kind of about uh the ending being a little clear cut for us at least um i was actually watching some like siskel and ebert reviews uh just to pass the time at work and i saw this one they they reviewed this movie and i remember uh they got into like an argument uh because siskel was like I wish the movie was. I wish the end of the movie was a little more, a um, little more clear. And Ebert was like, "Well, you're an idiot." <laughs> and and throughout it, I was thinking just while we were discussing this, it's like it's funny. I, I feel like it's funny that they weren't able to see that, like, you know, the end of the movie is pretty, pretty clear. <laughs> you know, like it's like okay, yeah, he died. And he was like in purgatory. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's like we already talked. We already said it's. The one thing at the end that is absolutely certain is that he's dead. Um, yeah. It's just everything in between. Explaining what, why everything happened in between is is the question. Um, and again, yeah. I think that I think that it could should have been left even more open. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't think that they should have confirmed that he is actually dead. I think they should. They, it would have been better if they would have found a way to just leave you questioning all of it like did he die is yeah. is he crazy a, you know in a way i agree um because i feel like with this kind of ending it makes it feel like too classic hollywood like mm-hmm. i know there was a movie that came out like in the 50s that has like kind of a similar plot uh to birds. this uh yeah, i think you're right <laughs> i don't know no, um, no, it's not the birds <laughs> <laughs> the birds is that that shitty movie where they're like fighting the fucking terrible cgi birds or whatever it's the Alfred Hitchcock movie. No, 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 that's the Alfred Hitchcock movie, dude. Come on, bro. Oh, my bad. Um, Where the birds go crazy and attack people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's... Um, but... Okay, yeah, that's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. I forgot. My bad. Um, anyways. Um, yeah, I feel like this was... Uh, the ending's a little too... Uh, I don't know. Like I said, it feels a little too like... What's a twist? Um, like Twilight zone I guess, yeah. is a good is a well, good term. I'm glad you just said that what's a twist part when you find out at the end that he's actually dead and this is what he's going through. Mm. It's kind of like at the end of the Sixth Sense when you find out he's dead. Yeah, exactly. It feels a little bit like, like that. Like he thinks he's just living in life, but he hasn't let go into the afterlife. Yeah, and I feel like um, like I like the way that works in the Sixth Sense, but I feel like it's a little sensationalized. You know, it's a little bit like you know it, you're you're expecting the audience to turn to each other and go. <gasps> Dude, what the fuck? You know. <laughs> Which granted, granted, in the sixth sense, that may have actually been how it was. It's just, I think, as we were all growing up, this the ending of the sixth sense, sixth sense was like one of those well-known like things that was always referenced. It's just like you know, Luke, I am your father, right? Like, yeah. Hey, you he, know what's funny? I watched the sixth sense while I was working at Dollar General because well, I had a spare. I just had a VHS lying around. I had no idea anything about the movie except it was directed by M. Night. 
So I did mm. not know the twist. I knew there would be a twist, but I didn't know what it was. Um, and so it did it did catch me off guard, and I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. There's always a twist. Yeah. That's what, that's why I knew there was going to be a twist. So who who are they? That's our grand. Those aren't your grandparents. Oh fuck! <laughs> oh my god! I don't even remember how it. I just remember him being like, "Oh, he's dead." Bruce Willis is actually fucking dead as shit. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember how that movie ends either. I just remember there was some like some of the ghosts and shit in there kind of creep me out. It's like, oh shit! Like, yeah, they go. I'm fucking dead. <coughs> I'm, dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying here. Oh yeah. It's just some guy who had the bad, like a bad flu. He had a bad case of the shits <laughs> and dehydrated. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me ask you guys this. So you you want more of a John Carpenter ending, right? Where at the end, like in the Halloween, Michael's body's gone. You hear well, him like the end, all the the end of the thing together. where it's like the thing at each other. You don't know which one it is. Yeah. Hey, now, speaking you, of, you'd rather have something that kind of open ended, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I, I think so. Yeah, because I, I don't mind the ending. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think the ending is good. I just think that it would have been even better if we weren't, if we weren't given that confirmation that he was actually dead. But then yeah, again, when I think yeah. about it, I don't know how exactly they would have, they would have really ended it in a satisfying way either. Oh, they would have done something if they, they left it open. There would have been a Jacob's Ladder too. If this movie yeah. was more well, successful. There was a remake. So. <laughs> Which apparently yeah, the remake everyone completely hated. missed like, the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Cody. I think it's it's good as it is, but I think if they had somehow find a way to make it a little bit more mysterious, it would have been uh even cooler, even. Um I mean there's things about this movie I like while watching it, you know, um before I had found out the twist. You know, it's it's really cool how this movie plays with like you know, are these guys schizophrenic, uh, you know, paranoid schizophrenics, you know, like, is it really just this drug that's making them see this thing, you know? And, and, um, I, I really like how it plays with that, with the main character. Um, you know, yeah. um, Hey guys, give me, give me two seconds. I'll be right back. Okay. One. Okay. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. He's not back. What the fuck? It took him two seconds to take off the headset. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he meant maybe he meant to count from two seconds when he took the headset off. So let's let's all right. Let's, okay, we'll, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. He said we're wrong. Yeah, what the fuck? The hell, Cody? Hey, have you seen Lance? Have you seen um Escape from New okay, York? Who talking to? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm not. T- I want to make sure the audience knows I'm not talking to them. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You're like, hey, Lance. Like, who else you talking to, bro? Come on. This ain't the. We're not breaking the fourth wall here. Yeah. Um, it's Escape from New York, the first one, because I never watched the sequel to ever which one. We watched it for the podcast, didn't we? No, we never did. Um, I think I might have brought it up. We watched Chinatown. Yeah, we watched Chinatown, which is another Kurt Russell movie, uh, directed by John, John Carpenter. Carpenter. I- I've never actually seen Escape from New York. Escape from L.A., the first one or the second one? Escape from L.A. is the second one, and everybody hates Escape from L.A. except for John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, who think it's better than Escape from New York. Yeah, I mean, look, I think sometimes you people will favor their their creation that's less than. 
Yeah. I think some people do that with their kids. Like, they prop the kids up that aren't as gifted. Yeah. And later on in life, the kid that wasn't as propped up, who was more successful, felt that he was more neglected and used that as, like, his motivation. Whereas, really, they're just favoring one because they feel like he needed more attention type of deal. It's more like self-sustaining. Yeah, that, know, that might be the case because, um, you know, John Carpenter did, did know that everybody hated Escape from L.A., so... Anytime he talks about the two, he's like, Escape from L.A. is better. Um, Dude, he fucking says that fucking Halloween 2 is an abomination. <laughs> that movie's better than I the think, first fucking I think movie. he just says shit to piss people off, honestly. He just wants to make music, I, I mean, guess. He, <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, this is helping out my career because people are still coming out and seeing me and shit like that. Yeah, he, It's just funny. Like, It's so weird that he you know, created so many things that were like really good ideas. Yeah. But he's got a musical career, and he's not making the type of money. It's like George Lucas. George Lucas really had one great idea. Yeah. And then and he had fucking really good actors made a, casted for Made it. a trillion fucking dollars off that one good idea and just coasted on that. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious, dude. I, uh, yeah, John Carpenter is kind of – he's kind of like the inverse George Lucas in a way. I know we bring up George a lot, but, like, John Carpenter is like yeah. – um, he has like a lot of really good ideas that didn't really do all that great until later. Yeah, and it's like I think John Carpenter, if I'm not mistaken, I think he went to school with Lucas and Spielberg, but he wasn't part of that group. Like you know, the guy who did directed The Godfather. What's his name? Capella. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, he made some Fries. fucking stinkers oh, yeah. too. Some of his movies suck ass. Yes, he did. Um, but him, Spielberg, and Lucas, and I think one other person were all like like the rat pack of Hollywood directors because they went to school together and graduated around the same time. Yeah. I think Carpenter graduated around the same time he did. He just wasn't that part of that group of friends. Yeah, it's so crazy, you know, like, that period. I think we've talked about this before, but it's like, you know, it's so insane that like all these big names who've made like some of the greatest <coughs> – you know, movies of all time. Just all went to school together and kind of like, at least we're acquaintances in a way. You know, it's like a crossover. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's like you got the really nerdy kids, and then like Carpenter is probably like the goth kid. Yeah, you know that doesn't get along with the like the really nerdy kids. Like I know everything about this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like Carpenter feels like he has a grasp on what he wants to do. Now whether he nails it or whether he don't is in the eye of the person who watches it, don't want to listen to him because he'll sit there and say some of his best, his worst movies are better than his best movies. Like, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. Carpenter, I feel like he rides that line really well between, like, dumb and, like, smart. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, even Escape from New York, which I brought up, like, if you watch it, it's like the plot is goofier than, like, it's like as goofy as Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Like it's like that, fu- like goofier than, uh, like the dumbest Arnold, uh, movies. You know, like where it's like, because mm-hmm. the the whole plot is is that he has to go to New York is made into like a, a prison. Like the entire fucking island of Manhattan is a prison, and the president crashes his fucking plane in there. And they said one. They said they said Kurt Russell is the only guy in to save him. It's the goofiest fucking plot. Um, isn't but, it, isn't Escape from New York, where uh, Kojima got some of his ideas? Yeah, no. Metal Gear. I, I watched it um, a little while ago, and like, dude, it's almost wholesale like 
So Metal Gear Solid 1's plot is almost wholesale kind of like lifted from Escape from New York. Like even, even like the, the, the name, right? Because isn't his name Snake Plissken or something? Yeah, his name's Snake Plissken. And even like the fox die shit in a way is kind of from uh, Escape from New York. Because in Escape from New York, he gets like two pills injected into him that'll kill him if he doesn't like complete the mission in time. Huh. I don't know if fox, fox dies. Die. Yeah, fox <laughs> die. Um, <laughs> but what else? I don't know if you were sticking around. We were just talking about John Carpenter and stuff. And yeah, like how he he really rides the line between like genius and stupid, kind of in the yeah. same way Kojima does, in a way. You know, I don't um, know. I don't think I don't think Kojima. I don't think Kojima rides the line between genius and stupid. I think he is very intelligent and he's a very yeah. good director. But I think sometimes. Well, I think he has. He, I think he has. Like I think. Uh, just like John Carpenter. I think John Carpenter is like an intelligent dude. But I think in the same way Kojima's like a lot of his ideas can be kind of goofy and kind of like dumb, you know? Yeah, well, I so I'm going to say that Kojima's a little bit more – he's more forgivable for that because I think a lot of the weird goofiness that you see in his games comes from the fact that he that he's Japanese. So a lot, so yeah, he it's is a inspired cultural by thing. Japanese culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it it's like some <laughs> of like the silly over the top shit that happens in like, you know, the metal gear games or whatever. It's like, okay, that's, that's very much like a Japanese inspired sort of, sort of thing. But yeah, um, I guess he does get a free pass in that, but I don't know. I mean, I've seen some Japanese movies and stuff that are like really like thought out, like, you know, nothing feels, I mean, of course, there's plenty of Japanese media. There's a lot of Japanese media where it's, like, really dumb. There's countless anime where it's, like, the main villain is, like, I have to monologue for five fucking hours before you beat my ass. <laughs> and nobody will move a muscle the entire time. And yeah. this character actually comes back to life after you. he's definitely dead. This planet is always Look, wanted I feel like to be you're attacking mine. Dragon Ball Z. No, I'm I'm talking <laughs> like, I'm specifically talking I, about Gundam. I, I think I'm talking about Gundam in my Look, head, I, but it's so funny that it can apply to both things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cody, I feel like you're uh, Cody. I think Owen, I think you're attacking Dragon Ball Z and I'm ready to end our friendship, Owen. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm I'm literally I'm literally in my head I'm thinking of Gundam, which I love Gundam, but I'm thinking of Gundam. And it's funny, like I said, that it can apply to both things. You gotta, you gotta the only, imagine. The only Gundam way I watched was Gundam Wing. Yeah, that's the one that came. That's like big in the West. A lot of <laughs> that's the one that came. Oh, I like. Uh, it's like it, you can, yeah, Dragon Ball Z though, especially because I, I remember like the episodes during the Frieza saga where like Goku's building up the spirit bomb, and I, it, I may be misremembering, but I feel like it takes like five episodes for him to finally like throw the fucking thing. It's like. <laughs> It does. You know why that is, Cody? Well, it's because they were waiting on the manga, right? So, like, they had to kind of just fill yeah, shit in even, to kill Tom. So, when Gundam doesn't have a manga. I mean, it does have manga, but it's not based, you know, the the show isn't based on a manga. But in, in Zeta Gundam, I swear to God, they fight, the same fucking characters fight, and there's no, like, tangible outcome. They fight, like, ten fucking times, you know, like, every episode. And there's, like, 50 episodes. So there's like a whole chunk of fucking like uh, episodes, and I love Zeta Gundam, but there's a whole chunk of episodes where they just fight over and over and over again, and nothing fucking happens. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like okay, and like it can kind of get on your uh, nerves, especially if you're like uh, binge watching it and shit. But 
Anyways, yeah, but I totally. That's fine. I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, you finish. finish your yeah, I was just saying. I totally agree. Like you know, with with Japanese culture, there's definitely that kind of goofiness. But I feel like I've seen a lot of Japanese movies and stuff where it's like there there isn't anything like that. Like it'll get to the fucking point. It'll be like you know, it's like hey, no bullshit. You know, I don't have a. I'm I'm thinking this shit through pretty much. Um, like the audition. I don't know if you've ever. Uh, that's probably. The audition is like a horror movie, um, and it's 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 a pretty good horror movie. But that's one example I would choose. Um, I <laughs> I was just gonna say because you get into manga, like there's a I guess a huge portion of fans of Dragon Ball and I guess any like anime that if it's not in the manga that's in anime they don't consider it canon. Yeah. And I didn't know what the fuck that meant because I used to get Dragon Ball Z magazines as a kid growing up. I didn't know what manga meant. I didn't know what the fuck that was. Yeah. And I watch. I try to watch Dragon Ball Kai, Dragon Ball Z Kai, which is all the filler, most of the filler, completely cut out, and it's more accurate to whatever it is. And they have that. They they still kept in the Japanese music. And let me just tell you this: that shit fucking sucks a dick because. I like the Americanized music they put in Dragon Ball Z and in the Dragon Ball Z movies. I I watch reactions like someone will react to like Broly transforming into the legendary Super Saiyan in the original movie, and they play this really kick-ass song from Pantera. I think it's called Ten, yeah, or Tens or something like that. It's a fucking kick-ass transformation. I'll send it to you guys. Like, at least only yeah, I, it's I've, really cool. I, I've seen it. It's I've it is really it. cool. Oh okay. And then some guy will be like, some dude's anime fan. He's like, watch, and he goes, "Man, this is so cool!" But I wish I had the original Japanese soundtrack. That shit's awesome. Like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. There's definitely like a cool aspect to that. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's like that, that. There's a video going around that was like viral, and it's uh, John Lennon singing with some <laughs> African American dude. Hey, I can't remember his yeah, name, but you it's, have it's, uh, it's his a, wife. Yoko Ono is like in the background. Right? Uh, the Chuck Berry with fucking Yoko Ono screaming. Yes, and he opens his yes. eyes when she and does it. And he's like, "What's this bitch doing?" He was like, "He like look, I know, he looks like he's like, what the fuck was that?" <laughs> and they, she does. They does it again, and then some hero in the middle of this cuts her fucking mic feed, and you see her in the background going wow. That's what it is to me, cutting out the anime music and putting in the Americanized. Music. Like cut that shit out. I don't. The only musical piece that's like original to Dragon Ball that I think is epic and it's awesome is in the Dragon Ball. I don't know if it's Z or Super. The Dragon Ball Super Broly movie that just came out, and they kept in the music, and it's the scene where Bardock is. You know they're replaying the moment where he tries to destroy you know Frieza, and then he gets destroyed in Frieza's death ball. And that music and that is giving me goosebumps even talking about it. it's a fucking awesome piece. Yeah. But everything else that's like you know quote unquote like the Japanese audio uh, mixing and the music is like that shit. I don't hold any of that shit to like some high regard. Yeah, that's like just they, that's just weebs in general. Weeb- like weeaboos. <laughs> they they think that everything, er, literally anything that comes out of Japan. Those are the same people who are like, you know, it doesn't matter how good or bad a dub actually is. It's like, they're always going to be worse than the original Japanese always. dub or whatever. It's See, like, shut the I, fuck I always up. Point, I don't want to. I always like, point I to those, to those people. I always point to the Cowboy Bebop dub, which I think is just as good, and the Golden Boy dub. 
So Golden Boy uh, has a dub um, that is fucking ten times more hilarious than than the original Japanese audio. Uh, that's a good. That's some good shit. Owen. <laughs> I. It's just. It's strange, man. Like I like. I'm one of those few people that like the original dub of Dragon Ball Z. The they call it the ocean dub. Yeah. It's a dragon ball. Dragon, dragon. I saw dragon. I saw somebody like bitching about that. They're like, Goku goes on too many like tangents or whatever. Um I, it does. And that's also just them. They they were trying to make Dragon Ball Z for kids at that point. Yeah. So he's like a wrestler. He's like a wrestler who's cutting a promo before he fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kinda, yeah. But in, well, that's, in a, truth, that's every that's really character. like how they all that, do in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, that's every character in Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah, but like the ocean dub. Here's the crazy thing with the ocean dub. They, like, I remember watching like because yeah, obviously, um, shit, what's that fucking thing? Um, on Cartoon Network, Toonami. Yeah, Toonami. Toonami yeah. would play multiple hours of Dragon Ball Z, and I would be watching it. I remember there's an episode, the episode that Goku arrives on Namek, and Vegeta and Gohan and Krillin have got their shit fucked up and they're bleeding from the face, and it has the ocean dub. The very next episode. They have completely different voices, and that was when the Funimation people were like starting to do their own voice work instead of contracting out to Ocean because it was cheaper. Completely different. And now Ocean Dub, they missed like I want to say thirty episodes, maybe, maybe less. But then they picked it back up, and they were in every country that wasn't America with English speaking. Speaking so in Australia, like in Germany, when you got the American the, the the American voices of it, yeah. it was still the ocean dub. So going in, I watched like some of the Boo Saga, like some clips from it, and seeing the original Vegeta voice, which is completely different than the Vegeta voice everybody knows, him doing that because he's evil. And it's like, well, he's not evil, but it, I associate him with evil Vegeta because he hadn't turned face yet. And it's really fucking cool. And then uh, for Dragon Ball Super... Vegeta had a copy made of him with some fucking I don't know what the fuck it is. It's a purple Vegeta. And for that episode, they brought in the ocean dub Vegeta actor, the original Vegeta actor, to dub the copy Vegeta. So you had the Vegeta we all know now that's been around since like the middle of the Namek saga to versus the original Vegeta voice. And it's really cool. Like it's it's a cool little thing they did. But anyway, mm-hmm. let's get back to Jacob's Lab. Okay. I just had one more thing about this discussion. Um, I already cut it off. Here. It's about <laughs> it's about Metal Gear Solid Two again about the. Dub. I don't think you understand. I just said it's over. This is Metal important. Gear. This is important <laughs> as hell. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cody, you know Mr. X and MGS Two, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so you know how during the entire time Mr. X is fucking talking, you know it's that Russian bitch. One hundred fucking. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you can tell. So it's like the, even even though the voice is distorted, it's still got like a thick like Russian so, accent. So let me let me drop this bomb for you about the difference between the version we got and the Japanese version. So in the Japanese version, Mr. X uses lines from the original fucking game. He uses like recorded like he plays back lines from the first Metal Gear game for like you know, when he goes like there are claymore mines in that area, invisible to the naked eye. He's using like or they, she's using direct like audio from the first fucking game. Like in Japanese. Mm-hmm. We don't get that. We get fucking Olga's. Oh, and another thing. Olga in MGS2 has the same voice actor as Meryl from MGS1. So they sound the same. Meryl. Yeah, Merle. <laughs> oh, Merle. 
So, Peter. 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 <laughs> Merle. Or Uncle Ben. Peter. Ugh, dying. I used to be able um, to do Cody. I used to be able to do an MGS4 snake voice, but I lost it a long, a long time ago. Oh yeah, that that one's that yeah, one's when rough. when you hit puberty. Yeah. That one's rough because he's like he's like and Merrill. Otacon, my dick is so hard right now. Uh, I took a blue chew a while ago. <laughs> uh, speaking of blue chew, today's episode is sponsored by blue chew. Um, um, but yeah, I, I guess. I guess in MGS two that kind of makes that kind of makes more sense because it's like it kind of plays more into like the simulation aspect of everything yeah. with the AI and, and all that. And Solidus's voice actor in MGS two in the Japanese version is the same voice actor as Snake, so it makes it it's supposed to make it more confusing as to who is. It's, it's okay. They redeem themselves with Metal Gear Solid three, which is the best game in the series. Oh fuck yeah, dude! Says. I love I love MGS three, hey. dude. I bought. Can I ask you guys? Go ahead. I bought. And, and, Keep going. I'll lose your thought. I bought MGS three on the PS two just to play the Snake versus Monkey game. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> MGS three is like the first time too that they finally got away from like being inspired by the original Metal Gear and Metal Gear two story, because you know like Metal Gear Solid is just like a straight up reimagining of those first two games, and then Metal Gear Solid two is like oh well we're kind of reimagining the first Metal Gear Solid again. So you get like the same like Gray Fox references with being your biggest fan and all that kind of stuff. And finally, MGS three got away from it. And I I know there are people out there that don't like it because of like the survival aspect of it and all that. I love that but, shit, like, dude. I love I do feasting too. on the tree frog. I, I do I do too. And also like that it's like a it does feel like a straight up like sixties like espionage type like story. Yeah, it's like James to- Bond. Yeah. yeah, it's like James Bond mixed with like fucking Vietnam, like it's cool as shit. I love. Um, yeah, I mean, and you've got like you've got like those those kind of like stereotypes or whatever or those tropes from from those old James Bond movies. Like you got the femme fatale and all that kind of stuff. So like, it, yeah, not yeah. MGS three is like literally my number two favorite game of all time. Yeah, dude, it's like one of my fucking favorite. I love how in MGS three, like you can, you, dude, you can do whatever the fuck you want in that game. Like, you can fucking, like, feed the enemy fucking poison fucking creatures. You can... Yeah, you dude, you can just throw a poison frog at you the can, enemy and, like... Yeah, they'll them. eat it. Yeah, you can throw a venomous <laughs> snake at them and it'll fucking get bit. You can um light people on fire. Like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. And, like, I love just watching people who are really good at MGS3, like, play MGS3. Because, like, they're fucking, like, playing, like, madmen. When, like, the first time you play MGS3, you're playing it pretty conventionally. Like, you're, like, you know, actually, like, crawling around, doing your camo and shit. But people who are good at MGS3, like, they're just fucking, like, CQ suing every fucking guard, throwing fucking frogs at everybody. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's fucking hilarious. I love it. That's why MGS3 is my favorite fucking game ever. Yeah. It's it's a very um, close second to Silent Hill 2. But go ahead, Lance. Uh, you guys ever tried Blue Chew? No. no. <laughs> I want to, though. I tried it one time, and I was uh, I was already ready in the mood. And I, I came in the bedroom, and Savannah goes, yeah, I'm not in the mood. I look down, I go, yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah. My dick was so hard I could type with it. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to... No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I stole that bit completely from Ron White. I just wanted because he he said uh he got married and he's like on his honeymoon. Like Jeff Foxworthy was like, 
here, man, take this. And it was a Viagra. He goes, man, I really wanted to take that. I don't have that problem. He goes, no, man, trust me. You'll love it. You'll thank me later. And he goes in there. He takes it and goes in there. He goes, turns out our honeymoon, which is on a cruise, turns out to be the week of the month for her. And he goes in there and he's, <laughs> he, takes the, he takes the Viagra and goes into the bedroom. And she's like, I'm not in the mood. And he's like, yeah, me neither. And he goes, my dick was so hard I could hunt with it. <laughs> He's like beating on the. He's over here like beating down that elk. He's like, oh shit! I just broke the antler. I was gonna have this thing mounted. I'm gonna mount this thing. Come here. This. He's like, give me something else to fuck. Hand me that parrot. <laughs> this reminds me of a joke um, that Lauren said wasn't as funny um, that as I thought it was. Um, but so at work, um, the guys I work with were talking about like unrealistic shit in movies. They were like, oh, yeah, when he does, like, you know, this and shit, you know, they survive because it's like a movie. And I was like, I really wanted to say, like, you know, the the most unrealistic thing in movies is always sex scenes because, like, the girl's always, like, moaning and enjoying it and shit. You know, like, she's never just, like, on her. <laughs> she's never just, like, on her, on her phone looking at Facebook or whatever, you know. <laughs> like, it's the most unrealistic things in movies. Like, it's not real. Oh God! What did Lauren not find funny about I that? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I showed Savannah this clip, and I've been saying this for a while. And uh, like before, like, I think like right before we started dating, I was like, "Just let you know, I'm a screamer." And she goes, "What is that?" <laughs> I go, I scream during the sex. I'm like, ah, ah, oh yeah, ah. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, and my wife, I got this for Ron White. He started screaming and his wife's like, <laughs> she looks at him like, sorry, baby, I'm a screamer. Daddy likes to make a little racket in the sack. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go in down in the bedroom, like the living room. And I'll just randomly go, Daddy likes to make a little racket in the sack. And Riley goes, what's that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. We got off the rails, I guess. Um. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> All right. How are we going to get back? Let's get in- back into this depressing subject. Yeah, how are we, um, we going to get back into this now? <laughs> Well, uh, so Blue Chew, when you die, you can get rigor mortis in your penis, and it's stiff as hard, so we're right back into it. Come on. Yeah, he could have been, he could have got a hard dick when he was dying, and be like. Well, hey, you, you guys are saying, hey, I really wish this movie was more open-ended. I'm over here thinking, like, I wish when they panned away from his dead body, he had a bone. Yeah, he just had a huge like, fucking <laughs> rock and hard cock. It's this fucking thing. They're like, they're balancing things on it. There's horseshoes around it or some shit. Like, this guy's they're like, what's his name? He's got a huge dick. Like, what's his name? We're going to call him what's his, Mr. What's, Ed. They're like, they're like, what's his name? And he's like, singer, Jacob. And they walk out, and the guy at the typewriter takes the paper out and walks over there. He's like, well, I guess I'll take care of this myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, Oh, God. One of the things I, I already made the joke earlier, but one of the things I was thinking about when I was when I first watched this was like, I thought he was supposed to be in hell because you know it shows like the hell thing, and I was like, dude, how's this hell? He's just like fucking this hot Latina chick like all the time and shit. This isn't hell. <laughs> <laughs> this is bullshit. See, I wonder. I wonder if this Jacob's ladder, if it's actually, what if he's just in hell and he's not ascending to heaven, he's just ascending to acceptance. Yeah. Well, he has to be going to. Yeah, that's the thing. He has to be going to heaven because his kid 
uh, takes him to heaven, you know. Okay, that's true too, yo. So, well, you, uh, what you, what you don't what you don't know is his kid used to put cats in pillowcases and smash them against brick walls. Yeah, he so was he's a also little an ale. He was a little piece of shit, Jeffrey Dahmer. It was uh, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I, it's really strange. Um, I didn't realize. I mean, I was surprised as hell because I didn't. I wasn't looking at the cast. Uh, when Macaulay Culkin was his kid, I'm like, holy shit, this dude was in everything. I'm just thinking about the John Hughes movies. Yeah, yeah this is he's a, in this. And this shit, is the too. same like, year as Home Alone. He's in Stand by Me. This is the same year. Stand by Me. What's that? Go ahead, Cody. Uh, I was gonna say this is the same year as Home Alone as well. So this yeah. is a big year for him. So you're telling me this is this is an alternate telling of like the guy the burglars actually get him, and that's why he ends up dying in this movie. <laughs> this is the alternate reality of Home Alone. Like the guys actually get him. Yeah, they actually kill his ass. And they shoot him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Cody did like what you don't see in that big fucking trunk truck that runs over him. You see like Joe Pesci and that tall guy like high five. Like, yeah, we got the little bastard. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was the fucking sticky bandits <laughs> in the truck. <laughs> well, see, they were the sticky bandits in Home Alone two. They were the water bandits in the first one. Uh, yeah, he goes because they stick all well. He was sticking handkerchiefs in the drains and turned the water on. Joe Pesci had nothing to do with that shit. <laughs> do you uh do you guys like how this is a stealth Christmas movie? <laughs> I didn't even realize it until I was watching it that it like it, it takes place around Christmas time. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, there's the Santa Claus and they, and in one of the scenes oh. they say, um Yeah. They say, Yeah, it was a month ago, like just before Thanksgiving. So I didn't even re- I never yeah. I never even thought about the fact that the, uh, the Santa Claus was out there. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. This is my Christmas movie. <laughs> Only two steps ahead. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I wonder, like when he goes up to the the check in part of the hospital, and he asks to see his doctor, and she goes, "There's no doctor here by that name, and there's no record of you being a patient here." And then obviously he sees the back of her head. When she bends down and then her voice changes as she yells at yeah, him. Yeah, she goes, like, come back here. Hey, get back here. Yeah, she turns into a man. Um, get back. But when he runs into that office where his doctor was and the guy actually tells him, yeah, the doctor died like a month ago. She could have told him that. Well, yeah. she didn't. You know? She was it's acting like, like, I wonder if. She was acting like he ahead, she didn't even know who he was. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So I'm wondering if, like, again. If it's this part, like if this is part of his brain, like as he's discovering more, like okay, he's discovered that she's not what she seems to be. So the next phase that he gets to has to reveal a little bit more just to keep the illusion up, or maybe it's his mind protecting him from something. I don't know. That's the whole thing. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I just. That's probably a dumb idea to bring up. I was just kind of thinking, like, okay, wait, well, he's on to us. Let's let him know a little bit more. Like, he's not completely crazy. That person did exist, and we'll keep this illusion up a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Does that sound like I'm just putting shit together? Nah, yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, that lady was meant to torture him or some shit. You know, she's a demon, so <clears throat> that's, you know, I, I could see them, you know, fucking with him in that way. I wonder. I wonder if the people that have helped him in this movie, like obviously that doctor that revealed to him, yeah, your doctor's gone. The doctor, obviously, the doctor before you don't see it, so obviously maybe that person wasn't real. If this is purgatory, yeah. But like that, his 
chiropractor. Is it what's his guy's name? Louis? Yeah, it's Lou. Lou. Did everyone did anyone ever oh, tell Lou, you okay. like an angel? Did like anyone? an overgrown chair. Yeah, yeah, you did every time. You got such fat yeah, cheeks. May, may, and and maybe like the cab driver, like anybody that's holding a crucifix is an angel, whereas everybody else is that's fucking with him obviously are demons. Yeah, there's a and he's stuck in this purgatory. Yeah, there's a lot of um, and I could see that definitely being the case because like even the cab driver, you know, he has that uh, cruise that rosary in his cab and stuff, and it's kind of like. I don't. The scene is kind of like you know going through the river sticks a little bit, you know, when he's in that cab. But um, there's a lot of like religious in, in what in imagery. What way? In I don't know the, is... the way he's like you know giving him money and shit. Then he's like take me, take me home. Oh yeah, know. pay the fer- paying the yeah. ferryman. Sort yeah, of, that's, sort of thing. Yeah, that's I guess it kind of makes sense. And it's he a, deli- but, he but also they... to the to the apartment or condo or whatever. And yeah, that's where like, he where can you get go like to... the ascension. Yeah, where he can go to heaven. Yeah, and but you know they focus like you know when he's in a cab driver, that guy has a crucifix, and they focus on that like two or three shots like as he's going home, mm-hmm. and then his buddy, who was revealing to him like, hey, I'm experiencing this too. It's not just you. Before he blows up in the car, obviously he shows that he has a Bible and he has a crucifix, but it's not helping him, you know. But when the car blows up, it focuses on the crucifix again. And there's no mention of, like, God or Jesus Christ in this movie. But it does have these little, like, these shots that's showing you, like, okay. So I'm thinking, like, if you go back and rewatch the movie, that anyone that has the crucifix with them are genuine people that are helping him. Whereas everyone else is either trying to keep him in the same space while they're slowly torturing him, like the demons. Or they're just fucking with them because they're demons. You know what I'm saying? Like Jez, she doesn't want anything to change, but she's obviously a demon. Yeah. Because her eyes are like all fully black. Whereas this guy is revealing to him, like I'm experiencing this stuff too. I need some help. So it's like the first stage of realizing, okay, I need help too, because he was keeping it all together. But he has a crucifix, so that could be a sign that he's a good person. Then at the end, with the cab driver taking him, the cab driver has a crucifix dangling right there. And they show that shot two or three times. He's obviously someone who's genuine, who's helping him get to the next fa- uh, phase. Obviously, I don't know about the guy. That guy just could be like a guardian to the gates of heaven. Yeah. As he's going to accept it. You know, that's you know what I'm saying. So I'm thinking like there's there's good and evil in this movie. The more we're talking about it, when we're not talking about Blue Chew and anime, but I do think that. Like there is a difference in that. I kept because I, my opinions changed at the beginning of this discussion when I watched this movie. I thought, okay, all this is just all in his head, and he's accepting because I was reading the Wikipedia thing, and that's how they kind of describe yeah. it. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I can see how that works. But now I'm thinking, okay, there are a few people that are trying to help him, and when they are helping them, there's a shot of a crucifix, or they're just really genuine to him. So obviously these are angels. Like Louis doesn't have a, a crucifix, but he stands in front of the light, and the light shows over him like he is an angel. Yeah. And he's the only one that's like genuinely helping um, Chris. Is that his name, Chris? Uh, his Jacob. Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Duh. What the fuck? I don't know why I got Chris. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> Dude, I, I'll tell you a funny thing when we get to the end of this like discussion about the ending of this movie. <laughs> um, but and then obviously the the chemist that comes out. Obviously he's not like doesn't show a crucifix, but that's more of like these are people either maybe they're neutral. And they're just they're just revealing things to him where he can get the acceptance that he's dead. But the demons are also, I think, just trying to keep him like give him subtle hints that something's not right, 
by torturing him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like he'll see shit and like like I said, the the, the the crop circle with all of his military stuff. There's no reason for that. Like it has no purpose. Well, it's not really a crop stuff, circle, but it's a right? subtle hint. Yeah, it was so a, a giant it was a, a giant crop circle. Peace, peace sign. sign. I thought it was a crop circle Mm-mm, for some a, reason. It's a giant I mean it's in like a field or whatever, but it's a giant peace sign. Peace that, sign. That they oh, were, okay. That they would have made like over there, I guess in Vietnam. Oh, okay, for some reason I thought it was like a weird crop circle. I'm like that's weird. I'm, I, of course, this is me. I didn't read the caption underneath the picture. Um, so, but you know, like you have like the subtle hints. I think the demons are there to keep him so they can continue to torture him until he completely loses his mind, and then he ends up in that hospital where everybody else is tortured. By the way, I know Savannah's not going to listen to this episode, but there's a shot of a woman breastfeeding a baby. She has a nice rack. Um, (laughs) And then, but everybody else, like, in that room is, like, fucking with him. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, we obviously, and, of course, you see the people with the skin over their eyes. And, I mean, it's a cool little visual for, like, like 1990 special set. Yeah. But I do do think the genuine people are helping him or the angels trying to guide him to the part where he can get to heaven. Because they do, for, if it's just all in his head, they really focus, like, seven or eight shots of this movie on solely the crucifix. Mm-hmm. For it, for if it's just ill in his head, if it's not supposed to be some spiritual thing, it's it's a weird thing to focus on, like the spiritual thing. Like if it was just something in his head, I could see them having a throwaway conversation about a crucifix and how it's, it does nothing and it's no good to them. But they really focus on that, like at least eight shots in this movie. Yeah, and if you notice, like a lot of times in the background, especially in the apartment stuff, they have a lot of religious iconography in the back you know there's like uh old uh paintings in the background that are related to like biblical stories and there's like uh you know crucifixes um and he's got some little knickknacks and his, his three kids are named after biblical figures too. yeah that's another thing yeah that's a that's a good point too in the beginning you know jez doesn't know uh like i don't know she can't remember his son's cool biblical figure names um so you know that might be a point for her being a, a daemon even jacob yeah even jacob okay. is a biblical name and um jezebel is, his wife sarah is a is a that's a biblical name she was the, i think the wife of abraham abraham jezebel of course so, yeah little jezebel <laughs> little jezebel um hey there little jezebel <laughs> why don't you come walk my way so other than that so let me let me let me ask you guys this going rewind to the back at the beginning of the movie uh jacob's taking a shit yeah um and the other guys are like smoking weed and talking shit and then the battle starts to happen but two guys are freaking the fuck out because of the bad weed and you know big rhymes i I can't remember his character's name he starts bleeding out of his nose because he's having seizures and shit do you think <clears throat> that all of that is happening? Like, what do you do? You yeah, think no, maybe like I, like ten, I, like Jacob is killing him in that moment? I think that and he doesn't realize it. No, I think that everything you see in the Vietnam section at the very beginning is happening. I think all of that stuff is real. Um, it's just a matter of your interpretation as the, the explanation of what happened. Um, like whether it was actually like 
chemical testing that the government did or, or if they were really attacked by the Viet Cong or what um, that that killed them. I think the chemical thing seems likely, especially if you if you do, like, like, like I said, I believe all that stuff is happening. You see the guy, like, have a random seizure, and the one guy's, like, just kind of sitting there, like, zoned out and um the other guy spinning in circles yeah so like, ah. yeah so i think that the chemical warfare where warfare thing makes sense um and it's just like they were saying like the chemist tells them uh later on that it it they tested it on monkeys and it you know they all like ended up killing each other and when they tested it on um on that unit or whatever it backfired instead of them going out and killing a bunch of uh, Vietnamese soldiers, they ended up just slaughtering each other. Mm-hmm. And then, like, some of them had no. negative reactions, like the one guy that has, like, the seizure, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think all that, I think, I think everything that's literally happening is the stuff in the beginning in Vietnam and then the, the scene at the end where he's dead in the medical tent. Um, oh. Everything else is left up to interpretation. Flashbacks, too, where he's with his little son. Um, like the the ones where they look like oh, yeah. they're recorded as well. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. a good I think that stuff is actual memories. The other thing is like they say in Wikipedia, the Wikipedia article that he wakes up in a different reality that his son didn't die and he didn't go to Vietnam or something like that. Just, so that's what his life would have been in that moment. I guess it's just like a flicker of hope when he wakes up and then realizes that that was just a dream, even though this whole thing's kind of a dream. It was only I think that just whole a dream. Good little feel good moment. <laughs> Open my eyes. That, that feel good moment he had, like with his son and his wife and his other sons, it's like, okay, this is what it would have been like, you know, for him. So I think one of the kind of fucked up, man. It's depressing. Yeah, one of the things I think that's left a little bit open was was. Were they actually in Vietnam, or were they still just in Cambodia, or whatever the fuck? You know? Or didn't Jason Alexander, I mean, that's George from Seinfeld, is all I know him as. Yeah. Didn't he say that they he got discharged because he only went to Thailand? Maybe they yeah. were just in Thailand. No, so like, he, he tries to say that the government contacted him and said that he, he was dishonorably him and his entire platoon were dishonorably discharged because they went nuts at some war games thing in Thailand but later on that's disproven uh, whenever he's going through his box of stuff there's like photos and stuff because he has a certificate that says he was honorably discharged from mm-hmm. the military why would he pull that out the word go he said well, it, it, exactly well that's another that's something else too is like why didn't he for one go back and get that when George try to tell him that reasoning, or <laughs> he, he, even if he didn't remember, he and he found it later on. It's like it's like one of those things, like oh shit, like this disproves it. But you know, it if it's a purgatory situation or whatever, it's just him. Like, yeah, I think at that point he had too much shit going on to really uh, yeah. care. Plus, yeah. plus at that I think point, it's funny it, how Cody called him George. George. Plus at that That's point, George Costanza. Bro. The the rest of the guys in his platoon or whatever had already said that they didn't want anything to do with it. Um, they had all backed out, so that's probably because the the government demons came and threatened them too. Yeah, 
Hey, you ain't gonna be talking about I, I, this no more. Uh, see here. That's the most realistic thing about this movie is that the government is our demons, dude. I see them all the time. <laughs> there is a quote. Hold on. There's a quote on the Wikipedia article from either the director or the writer. Let me get it real quick. Because I thought it was a pretty good quote, too. Uh, Jacob. It was only just a Oh, shout out to... <laughs> shout out to Jacob. Uh, uh, shout out to uh, Jacob Dukesher and Alex Dukesher and Christian Dukesher of I'll Take Three. Because we're talking about Jacob, so... Uh, <laughs> He's in this movie, actually. J- Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Dukesher's ladder. <laughs> All right. Who? Cody. Cody. Um, okay, so th- this is the guy. This is the screenwriter, and he wrote this movie ten years before it got made. Is what I read. Um, I thought wasn't I guess based on a book. Over, like, what? am I wrong? No, this no, this was a written from. This is from a screenplay. The guy wrote a screenplay, and it was adapted into a movie. Oh. Yeah. Hey, real quick, we never did completely go over this. Uh, the release date was November second, nineteen ninety. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The budget was twenty five million, and the box office was twenty six point one million. So just about broke it. even, uh, just a little bit over nah. above even. Yeah. Well, no, because um, half half the so, box office goes to the theater, so <coughs> goes to the cinema, so it it didn't even. So it didn't make the money. Yeah, it barely made half of what its budget yeah. was. All right, so here's the, here's. Uh, from the writer Bruce Joel Rubin the horror of the movie would be in the revelation that hope is hell's final torment that life is a dream that ends over and over with the final truth that life was never real that we are all creatures trapped in eternal suffering and damnation so uh, and the title and the film's title refers to the biblical story of Jacob's Ladder in Genesis 28 12 um so you have um like that whole thing, like I, I think now that we've talked about it a little bit more, like I, I kind of side with more with Owen that this is like purgatory and he's trying to get to heaven versus all this is just going in his head. Yeah. Because, like I said, they just focus way too much on the crucifix and they don't even mention God or Jesus Christ in this movie, like at all. They just mention hell, demons, and angels. So I, <clears throat> I think that's interesting. Like I mean, it's interesting. I, I think this movie's great, and to be honest with you, I disagree with the ending with you guys. I like the ending because this movie is a start point and it's an end point. How and dare you? it's extremely you rare to watch a movie. Disagree with well, us. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you, hey, hey, let me tell you something. Next year, <laughs> next year, I know you're just joking, but next year, we're going to be watching a shit ton of movies with open endings because, guys, I've already told Cody this. I think I told Owen this. I'm picking all the fucking Friday the 13th movies for my movies or like the next year. So... <laughs> they're all like he's dead but he is he not, you know so we're going to have a lot of open in the shit not the first one again right <laughs> no we've already done no the we're first watching one. that one again <laughs> no. now look Owen I will say this Owen if you go back and watch the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger and give me your mini review of the next recording we do in two weeks right. I won't repick the Friday the 13th part one because right. <laughs> if you don't Hey, I swear I'll to God, Owen, to, I fucking will pick I'll watch it, it tonight. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the movie. And like I said, Cody missed Heartbreak Ridge, and Owen liked it. So no. I, I, if I pick a movie Cody hates, like, Cody, I won't pick it if you watch Heartbreak Ridge and let me know what you think. 
<laughs> but yeah, Owen, I'm like that Commando movie is like can, a movie right up Owen's alley. Yeah, he can't I can already it. he missed that episode. I can already tell you, I'm probably gonna like Commando. <laughs> like, oh dude, you're fucking gonna love it. Cody fucking hates anything military. Fucking hates anything with like just dumb action movies from the '80s. Yeah. He watched this movie and he fucking liked it because he knew this movie was tongue in cheek. Like a hunt, they all knew, wink, wink at the camera. This is kick ass. And yeah, I just, it. I love. You know, and Cody goes, "I liked it. I love '80s action <laughs> movies so much." Did you let him go? Yes. I, <laughs> I told him like, like I love his one. That movie. If you like the one liners in Predator, that movie's like that ramped up to ten. Yeah. It's like he's holding this guy upside down, and uh, like over a cliff, he goes, "Where's my daughter?" He gets the answer. He goes, "Hey, Sully, you remember when I told you I'd kill you last?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, you did." He goes, "I lied," and he just drops him. <laughs> and he comes back, and she goes, "What happened to Sully?" He goes, "I let him go." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just a great fucking shit in that movie. Um, my favorite one liner from Predator so, is uh, is <laughs> yeah, that's the best one. <laughs> Hey, there's the one where he throws the knife at the dude, and the dude's like up against a piece of wood, and he's like, "Stick around, stick around, <laughs> stick around, and suck uh, my cock." Arnold, dude, <laughs> dude, Arnold, Arnold's great. Everything about Arnold. I, I read about him fighting with Sylvester Stallone, and it seems like the pettiest shit I've ever read in my life. But well, they were in like a big Hollywood. Oh, it is. Robbery, they're they're right? good friends. Now. Yeah, I know they love each other now, but I know back in like the 80s and 70s, they were straight up just like being like. Like I know at the Academy Awards, I guess they like like were fucking like laugh like uh, Arnold was laughing every time it, uh, Rocky wasn't making was it Rocky or Rambo? I can't remember. Probably Rocky. Rocky, Maybe, uh, Rocky was nominated for, or I think it actually won an Academy Award, didn't nah, it? Yeah, it did. No, nah, it may have been it may have been like a later edition because Rocky came out in like. 75. Yeah, it was Arnold like the seventy-five. Big until like yeah, it was like back in seventy-five, and every time Rocky wouldn't win like an award, Arnold would laugh at him, um, and then eventually it won like best action or some shit, and then Sylvester Stallone like threw like the fucking uh, like the little vase at the middle of the table at him. <laughs> That's funny as shit. You know they, it, it's funny. Like I remember, I think it, I think it was Stallone. He was on a talk show, and he goes, like, they were talking about his rivalry with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He goes, yeah, I mean, you know, I would do Rambo, and he would do Commando, and all this other shit. And I think Arnold, one of the two, had a script, and it was fucking terrible. Yeah, So they it leaked was, out that they were going to take the movie. And then, It was My Mom's then, a Cop, I think it's the lone picture. or some shit like that. Oh, okay. So, Kindergarten no, Cop. No, not Kindergarten Cop. Um, it was like My Mother's fucking, I don't know, something about... The, the main character's mom is like joins him. So the main character is a detective. The main character in this case being Sylvester Stallone. And his mom helps him out with like murder cases or some fucking bullshit. It's like the worst shit. <laughs> um, okay, so just, that's the one Arnold was like, I'll take the movie. And then Stallone's like, no, I'll take it. And it's like the one of the worst movies ever yeah. or some shit. Just for clarification on Rocky, it was nominated for nine academy awards and it won it won three of them for best film editing best director and best picture uh, that year okay let me so this is the movie it's called stop or my mom will shoot (laughs) 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 uh 
it's about yeah so Sylvester Stallone is a tough cop his seemingly frail mother comes to stay with him and progressively interferes with his life driving him crazy so it's a buddy cop movie about a detective and his mom both being cops <laughs> okay so our so Stallone told the story and said that well Arnold had told his agent he was going to do the movie so Stallone jumped in and volunteered to do the movie first because he wanted to do it because it was a competition and I think Arnold did that on purpose so Stallone would take the movie so Arnold didn't have to do it <laughs> this is some fucking great petty shit I love it dude I fucking just love like this backstage fucking Hollywood drama bullshit I fucking love yeah, it well yeah they were like the biggest stars in like the 70s and 80s so um really the 80s yeah, yeah, the 80s. I know Arnold had the Conan movie yeah I never watched that like shit. 80s and early That's 90s really yeah that's what I'd say until he got passed up by younger tighter more handsome fellows like, like me. Jim Carrey like me that's Jim Carrey <laughs> hey that's the one thing I we've never had I'd like to see Jim Carrey in a movie with Stallone and with um, Arnold yeah, he's a, I think Jim. in some way he he's worked with Clint Eastwood like Clint Eastwood was his director in one of the movies he's, he's in the new Expendables Expendables 3, they have Jim Carrey in it. Do they? No, I'm just fucking with you. There isn't even an Expendables 3. I think think Jim Carrey's retired There is an Expendables 3. They're making a fourth one. Oh, my bad. I think it already came out. (laughs) Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah, I think it flopped pretty bad. Oh, shit, you're right. I only knew about one and two. Yeah, Expendables released. The first Expendables was pretty dope. Expendables released on September 22nd, 2023. It had a budget of a hundred million dollars and only drew in fifty one point one million in the box office. So it was a bomb. Yeah, it got... A bomb. Wow. Ba la 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 bomba. So so Jacob's ladder, real quick. We'll get into this. I mean, this is an hour and thirty minutes. I'm sure Cody's going to cut out like forty five minutes of our bullshit. Nah, you can leave it all. Um, Right, let's hey, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode, ladies, because this chair is uncomfortable on my All ass. Right, we can give our final thoughts. That's why you should, that's why you don't use a Serbian as a long term chair. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I don't like. That's why I like sitting on the camel's hump. Okay, compared. <laughs> like I don't sit between the humps. I sit on the hump. They're like that's really uncomfortable. I'm like yeah, it says you. That's what Fergie. Fergie asked me what I want to do with all that hump. All that hump. All that. <laughs> so. What are our final thoughts on Jacob's Ladder? Let's go in alphabetical order. <laughs> okay. Um, so for me, this is this may be one of the best movies we've ever covered on this show. Um, uh, I disagree. E- Second only to Battle of the Realms. <laughs> e- yeah, I think e- easily. I think easily uh, five out of five. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is probably better. Actually, so. <laughs> also, I also, also like to think that uh, the Last Jedi was like number three. If we're going, oh uh, shit, I forgot ready, guys, we did that. The, the countdown to Wonka is damn on. It. So I forgot. Um, I forgot we did the. Damn it, we did. Did we do all the sequels? <laughs> to what? We did. We did the seven, eight, nine. We haven't done like four, five, and six. The originals and one, two, and three. Yeah, which we will. Yeah, do. eventually, sometime in the future. But that's funny because I don't even remember. Like, right now, baby, we got a marathon recording session. Let's go. Yeah, I was watching episode three, and like when I was sitting through the beginning of it, I was like, dude, this shit is so fucking stupid. Like, is this made for like dumbass babies? 
Like I was like, there's so much. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite part of that movie is when Obi Wan reaches down to touch uh, Padme, and it's actually just a photograph of Padme. Is that real? <laughs> yes. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know if they had to reshoot it or something. And and um, what's her name? Well, who's that? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. I don't know if she wasn't available or something, but basically, yeah, it's just a photograph of her in like laying in like the the bed or whatever, and like he reaches down and touches her face. He's like, I miss you, babe. I miss you. <laughs> it's like when he checks on her uh, in episode three. I think about um, in uh, Shaolin monks when Baraka stabs a Shaolin monk through the skull and throws it at Kung Lao's feet, and he bends down and goes, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> I love that part." <laughs> she literally got forced choked and then dropped by Anakin. And he just goes down and touches her and doesn't say a fucking word. Like, Are you but okay? <laughs> the thing that set me off on episode three was I was watching it. I was watching the battle. So they have a big space battle right next to Coruscant, the capital of the fucking galaxy. And then they land back on Coruscant, and it's like nothing fucking happened. Like, you know, everything is completely fine. There's no fucking... Nobody stressed out about the war or anything. There's no fucking, like... You know, it's like, okay, how the fuck did the uh, robot army get so close to the capital of the fucking galaxy without you guys having, like, huge issues going on? Like, you know, it's like... I don't know. It's so fucking... It's like everything's so disconnected. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, you're thinking too deep about it, man. I mean... So, so, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. So, yeah, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, I love it. Again, it's one of my favorite movies that we've covered on the show, and uh, I would highly recommend it. Nice. Okay. Now it's Lance's turn. Um... I really like this movie. I think this movie, depending on your mood, can either make you like really question what's going on in the movie and analyze it, which is a good thing, or also can make you extremely depressed thinking about your own death. Um, so yeah, I I had the the latter in um in that discussion. I got really I got kind of depressed when I was watching this movie. I'm like, damn, okay, kind of fucked up. And, you know, it's just like all these outside forces keeping him from being truly happy. But, you know, there's also probably a few choices he could have made differently, which we're not alluding to in the movie. I'm just saying in, in general, it's just like a really good um, way of looking at your life. But, uh, yeah, I highly recommend this movie to watch just because either you're really going to like it or you're going to say, yeah, it's pretty good. I'll never watch it again, but it didn't feel like a waste of time. That's the best thing you can say about a movie. Like, I think everybody could watch this movie other than, like, a 15-year-old kid with ADHD and enjoy this movie and not feel like it wasted their time. Or, like, I want to do a deep dive in this movie and stuff like that. And that's why I like the open and close part of this movie. Like, there's an ending, there's a beginning. Because you can analyze the movie inside and out, and there's nothing more to it. There's an ending point. He's dead. So you have a place where you stop and there's nothing else to analyze. So, but yeah, I highly recommend this movie. And, uh, yeah. No, nice. I uh, yeah, I recommend this movie too. Um, I think it's a pretty great movie. I was wondering how it would hold up, um, after about 10 years since I've watched it. Um, and it's really good. It's intriguing. Um, it's interesting. Keeps you on your toes and the effects are really great. Um, it hooks you in from the beginning um, with the uh, closed train sequence, which is something I love in a movie. I don't like when movies plod in the beginning too much. Um, 
but yeah, it's great. I recommend it. Um, also, this movie uh, goes into the few select movies that have the Twin Tower in it. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, it does. Yeah, these, I didn't even think this about movie that. has the Twin Towers in it. It has the OG New York skyline, so there you go. But, uh, all right. Uh, should I close this? <laughs> Cody. Well, Co- Cody's got to give like his next yeah. movie. Yeah, Cody. What's your next movie, uh, sir? Uh, so yeah, my my next movie is Yes Man, starring Jim Carrey. Oh, okay, thank God. So, um, I thought it was gonna be another fucking Johnny Depp bullshit. Like, oh, I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. Attack of the Martians. Hey, hey, don't freak out. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do another musical. We're gonna do Rocky Horror Picture Show. That- I've oh, never, God. I've never seen that okay. movie. You've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. The horror. And my, my movie is going to be uh, the last so far, Mortal Kombat Legends movie, Cage Match. And it's one just got released a couple months ago. I have it downloaded on the our group YouTube account for us to watch, and I bought the movie. And I haven't watched it yet, so I'm literally when I go in to watch this movie for the podcast. I'm going to watch it for the first time, and I'm going to try to watch it with the commentary and get any notes I can off of it and all that stuff. I've been avoiding anybody talking about the movie because I don't want to spoil anything for myself, and I've not looked up anything. It so, feels like the first yeah, time. feels like the very first time. Johnny Kage. Oh, oh. Okay, well, that's been Filmoski Podcast. Um, uh, join us next time where we go and watch um, the Jim Carrey movie. I already forgot the name of it. Um, yes, yes, man. man. Opposite of <laughs> Thank no. you, everybody. Uh, please give me all your money. We'll see you next time. And as always... On Dragon Ball Z. And as on al- Dragon Ball Z. And as always... Dragon, dragon, like a dragon. Sorry. And as always... Finish him. <laughs> <laughs>